Welcome to the Anglo Italian Pod, ladies and gentlemen, season two, episode 23. As always, I'm Tommaso and I'm joined by good friend and co host, Mr. Rory. Here I am, here we are, and we're ready to talk about a great weekend in both Serie A and the Premier League. Some big matches, lots of goals, and a, a title race emerging, getting more interesting. I think it's all going on, right? It's all going on. Before we delve into it, remember to follow us on Instagram at AngloItalianPod, on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod, and to also give a special follow to our one and only sponsor at Sports Club Maps. The holiday season is approaching. We will be running more giveaways. The first one, the winner was Carl. He's, he's set to receive his map very soon, but we're going to run more giveaways, so make sure you follow them. It's been a great, great weekend of football, and Rory's got a smug smile on his face because he might as well become table leader in the Italian Fanta Calcio. Rory, how do you feel Touch about one. that one? Mate, I feel like at the moment, everything I touch is turned into gold. I pick up Okereke in the draft, and he scores the only goal as Venezia win. I had Perisic score last night. I've just had Barak bag one. And Bonucci got two penalties, only one of which I think was actually a penalty. Um, so, yeah, four goals, absolutely killing it. And hopefully, long may it continue. Long may it continue. Long may it continue. Where should we start from before? Well, we, we've, got, we've got to review the entire weekend and then it's Champions League football again. Rory, should we start from England, maybe? Um, yeah, let's start with England and let's start with the big news. The big news. Uh, it's the news we've Ooh. all been waiting for. It's been oh months in the pipeline. But we didn't um, think it would ever actually come. We we called him the man with a million lives. He just ran out, apparently. Well, he got to a million and one, and he was one short. Um, he has finally gone. Ole has been relieved of his duties after what I, I called it, Tommy. I called it. I said, this game is going to define the narrative of the weekend. Watford battered Manchester United 4-1. It, honestly, first half, it could have been 5-0. It was ludicrous. De Gea saved two penalties. Um, so, Saar had to retake the penalty. De Gea saved it both times. Um, Watford were just running through him. It was honestly one of the worst Premier League performances I've ever seen. Not just from United, just one of the worst Premier League performances. Um, I, know and it was... got, I know you've got the utmost respect for Sir Claudio Ranieri, but you 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 didn't really respect him for what he did to Manchester United in a weird logic. Do you want to explain it to our listeners, Rory? I'm not sure. Did I say it drunk yesterday? I don't know. I yeah, no, you you said you simply said that they went a little too hard. If they had won oh. by only one or two goals, <laughs> only would cloudy. still be in the job and the Premier League would be a happier league. That's that was he, your narrative yesterday. That's it. He didn't get the memo. Claudio didn't get the memo. We needed a concerted plan from the other 19 teams to be like, right, beat them just by one or two goals. And then he can continue in the job and we can keep having fun. But Claudio had to get greedy. Bloody Watford had to get greedy. They did not need those two goals at the end. They could have just seen the game out and Ollie would maybe still be in the job. But look, I think, if, I, I honestly kind of feel happy for Ollie that he's just out of that situation now. I feel like he was never going to step down. He loves the club. I think he did everything he did, he did in the interest of Manchester United. Um I think he was never going to step down, but obviously the position was untenable. Now, the weird thing is, is that... So now they've sacked him, but there's no clear idea of who they're going to bring in. So they're going to have to go to another interim manager. The word is that it's going to be Michael Carrick. So basically they've replaced Ollie with another Ollie. It's just another guy who's not really managed to any level. In fact, he's less experienced than Ollie until they can get someone else until the end of the season. Now, there is word that Pochettino is trying to force his way out of PSG now so that Zidane can go to PSG, Pochettino can go to United. I don't know how much truth is in those rumours, but that's kind of been on Twitter today. But for Man United, it just... I They might as well have kept Oli because I think if, it's just gonna, if you're just writing off the rest of the season with an interim manager, I don't know if there's going to be any progress or any upturn. You might get a bounce for one or two games. Annoyingly, we play them within those one or two games. But I can't see it. It just seems like, a, as everything with United, unplanned and absolute panic. And yes, Hopeless Wanderer, I have seen that Steve Bruce 
has linked himself to the job saying he would be quite happy to steady the ship, which I think we could all get behind. Um, but Tommy, what are your thoughts on Oli finally being relieved of his duties? Well, just had to say that, of course, we are live We are live on Twitch on a Monday night. We've got our friends Steve Cole, Hopeless Wanderer podcast, and the Slack musician right here with us. Um, you can always join us on Twitch and YouTube for the upcoming weeks. Well, I just wanted Rory to take a moment. Uh, this is a very sad day for every football fan. Oli has been sacked. What, I wanted to ask you, actually, what are the best memories that you'll hold next to your heart thinking of this man in charge of the mighty Reds? A Red um, sorry. sorry. Well, it's going to be Arsenal biased, obviously, but the fact that his team never scored against Arsenal, I enjoyed mm. that. Um, mm-hmm. We got our first win at Old Trafford since... 2011, 2010. That was a, that was a nice memory. Um, but genuinely, I think the games that will be like Oli will be remembered for will be the comeback against PSG. Um, that Europa League campaign up until the final was very impressive. I think it's weird how you have these like on the flip of a coin moments. Like if they win that Europa League penalty shootout, the whole narrative is different. The whole trajectory of the team is different. It kind of felt like after that final that there was no coming back from it at that point. The squad looked dejected. And I think that final could have been the boost that pushed that squad on and him on to achieve more, but it just, it wasn't to be. And this season, it really has proved too much. But I think the games that will stand out will be the, he did well in Europe with them in general. He did do quite well in Europe. Um, It's just this last season that it started to fall apart rather spectacularly. I will always remember, well, with an Italian bias, I will always remember the two games against Atalanta and how Cristiano Ronaldo saved the man from the guillotine in two back-to-back Champions League games. <laughs> the memory that I will have of Oli at Manchester United, I think, in the future, the narrative, the storyline will always be the man who was so close to getting sacked, but somehow he got always rescued by mm-hmm. Bruno Fernandes or Cristiano Ronaldo or whoever wanted to save him from the job. Um I yeah, we will see where this goes for Manchester United from now on. You just saw on camera my cat trying to make its way to the mixer, but it's a no. I'm sorry, buddy. Um, but what about the actual game? Donny van de Beek actually getting a goal on the day that the man he hates so much gets sacked. Could we see much more of Donny Beck in this new Manchester United lineup under Fletcher? I really hope so. I think, honestly, he changed the game for United when he came on at halftime. He was running in midfield, like apparently none of the other United players had got the memo to actually run. He was running, he was closing players down. His choice of pass is incredible. His ability to find space. He was like, he was doing everything in midfield. He picked out the ball. He picked Sancho out a few times. And like Sancho is another player that's looked completely lost because there's no systems around him. There's no one to do one twos with him. There's no one. But Van der Beek straight away was finding him, picking him out. And look, it was going to be whoever lasted the longest, like, would stay there, if you know what I mean. Like, if United had held on to Ollie until January, I think Van der Beek would go in January. But now. He's probably right, like, right, okay, let the new coach arrive. They'll realize I'm actually a decent player and hopefully give him a start. Um, but it is kind of ironic that Van der Beek scored the last goal of his um of his tenure. And that Harry Maguire, the guy that he appointed captain, got himself sent off at a key moment and ultimately cost United the game. They were coming into the game at that point. It was 2-1. They you started to think, okay, United can salvage this. We'll get another week of Ollie. And then Harry Maguire had to ruin it as well with a stupid, two stupid yellow cards. The second one just caught in possession, like he always is. Caught in possession, brings the player down. And it's just like, after all the... It was bound to happen, but after the celebration of him doing this against Albania and then... Yeah, just shutting his bit, ears. Doing a bit too much of like, look who I am. You're like, ah, mate, just like, honestly, concentrate on being able to pass a ball five yards and then we'll get onto everything else. Because every time he's on the ball, it just... He's given away so many goals this season. Um, Before we move on from Manchester United, our chat is getting lively. Do we feel that Oli actually brought stability, as he claimed in his last interview, asks the hopeless wanderer? And our friend Chris says, I think he did bring it back after Jose's years. Steadied the ship. Everything looks more positive. Do you agree, Rory? I think so. I think there's a more rounded squad. There's, a, in general, a more happier squad, even though they don't look that happy at the moment. I think he has brought a bit more of that. They keep 
it's a phrase I've used or I've heard several times over the last weeks. He's brought back that kind of United DNA kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think he has steadied it. The, the club was in a really dark place after Jose, as clubs often are when Jose leaves. Um, and I think, yeah, he has... He's been able to deal with a transition that's got actually a very good squad there for the next person who does take over. When you go through the names on that squad, you're like, they should be challenging for a title, really. Because you've got Varane, you've got Ronaldo, you've got Sancho, you've got Fernandez, you've got like Maguire, who people still think is good. I personally don't think he's good, but Maguire, you've got De Gea in goal. You've got a lot of good players there and a squad that could challenge. Obviously, we know where the holes are. We know where the gaps are in this team. They're massive and they're staring at you, but there is the makings there of a very good squad. But the, my feeling is that simply, um, God, my cat is on the stove mm. and I can hear it beep. Um, sorry about that. No, but I, I don't know. Is that up to Oli? Is that because of Oli that all these players joined Manchester United? I mean, that sounds just like very good purchases in the window transfer. They've got a lot of money and they got a lot of good players. But if I was a manager going into this job, I would just be excited to finally give them a direction to follow mm-hmm. and the a starting lineup that is always that one and clear ideas. So we have to well, split United, between yeah. the management, the the ownership, and the management. As Oli studied the shit up, the ship up. Sorry, um, the shit up. We have to take that explicit box now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just like it just feels like the, I was just going through Manchester United's latest results. Like, look at their last twenty games. There's not much steadiness in there at all. So, well, they, they have good players, but to well, me, I think it's it's all that. Nothing well, I more. think they've all their 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 policy on bl- on buying players has always been the same. It's always just been buy big names. And when they did that under Mourinho, everyone was miserable. <laughs> they did that under Oli, and not everyone was miserable. So I think maybe he has done a bit of a better job. Um, but look, he's still like this season has been absolutely disastrous. I still think the finishing second last year was a bit of a false position. I feel like it kind of. Because City didn't really turn up, Chelsea didn't really turn up. I feel like that second finish makes them look like they were better than they were. I don't know. Uh, But again, everyone knows I'm slightly biased against United. Maybe I'm being harsh there. Um, But yeah, I think overall he's he's prepared the club for someone else to take over. It's much more prepared for success than when Jose left. I yeah, I, I don't still think that it's uh, because of Oli. I think it's because of you, you've got a very good squad of players that don't need much coaching, as they've proved over and over again under Oli. Um, our friend Chris is saying that there are only two signings away and one manager from being a quality side, mm-hmm. and I agree with you. And the Hopeless Wonder podcast are saying also Oli Gunnels Solskjaer, like the Fred over Van de Beek, which shows how technically naive he was. There you go. You proved my point. Yeah, I think tactically naive is being very kind. <laughs> I honestly don't know what his tactics were at any point, at any point of his tenure. I have no idea what his tactics were. Um, but look, I honestly feel slightly relieved. Like I said, I feel relieved for him now that he can go and have a holiday and get out of this toxic situation and just hopefully, like, I don't know, I just felt really bad for him. Towards the end, it did, it did feel like a kind of cruel and unusual punishment. I don't know. Yeah, and now Chris just reading my mind. I was just like, yeah, that's enough talking about the Red Devils. I've been let's trying to delay it. Can you let, tell? Let's, let's talk about how shit United were. Let's <laughs> talk about the Reds. Let's talk about the Reds taking on Arsenal. The unbeatable Arsenal finally fall short of four goals against Jurgen Klopp's side. It all happened rather quickly, it seems like, in the second half. Rory, Takeaways from this game? Uh, it was men versus boys. Men Ooh. versus boys. Um, I think this is, I kind of said it to Chris already in our um, WhatsApp chats. I was like, look, this is a, so I'm going to get, these are excuses, but I'm getting them in early. Um, this Arsenal <laughs> team is a very, very inexperienced team, right? And this Liverpool team is a very bloody good and experienced team. Um, the two players for Arsenal that I was really disappointed with and I think it's kind of interesting because they're two players that have impressed throughout the season and nobody expected them to be as key as they have been. So it's Sambi Laconga and Tavares. Now they were both signed and we thought, okay, these are going to be bench players. 
we're going to see them in the cup. That'll be about it. And they've become like regular starters. And that's been great. But then this is by far the biggest game that both of them have played in. And they both absolutely shat the bed. Um, Now, they weren't the only ones that shat the bed because Arteta, and again, I talked to Chris about this, he has a need for the story to be about him. He has a need for, he has an ego. And I think he he needs to learn to kind of curb that ego a little bit. Now, I... I can kind of see what he was trying to do with like having a go at Klopp because Mane is one of those players where his reputation lets him get away with a lot. He sticks one in on everyone and there was a few challenges he jumped for against Tommy Asu where he was leaving things in and Arteta was going mad. Now, the one that Arteta actually went mad about I don't think was a foul, but Arteta ended up screaming at Klopp and then all of a sudden Anfield woke up and the atmosphere just got turned up to like 12 and then we were fucked. And after that, like, obviously there was tactical things that happened. And like, uh, Jurgen Klopp, like, just got Liverpool to press and press and press. Like, the, it was relentless. They just slowly turned up the pressure. That and Anfield waking up really did put us on our arse. And yeah, and played into Klopp's hands straight away. And then what was annoying was the first half we played really well, or at least we controlled Liverpool. We had a few counterattacks and we were like, okay. Maybe we can nick one, but we're going to have to just like, you know, like when boxers just hang on the ropes and just wait for the guy to tire them out. It would kind of felt like that. And then to concede from a set piece is really irritating. But I saw a stat that Trent Alexander-Arnold now has 50 assists, right? He is 22, 23. And for comparison, it took Danny Alves to have 250 appearances to get 50 assists, right? Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold so far has played 186 games and got 50 assists. Like, this guy, his delivery is unbelievable. And he and also Danny Alves never played in the Premier League. <laughs> so, Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he, like... He absolutely tore us to pieces. Ramsdale was incredible. He made some amazing saves, but he can only do so much. You can own, you can't. Stop Rory, the fight, you would be right? happy that that magazine that I keep talking about, the Revista Contrasti, the ones that like to have a hot take to look at things in a mm-hmm. different way. Uh, they had an article about Ramsdale today. Uh, they were saying that they love, they absolutely love the 1990s goalkeeper attitude that he's got. Every little chant that comes from the stands, he turns around and like starts acting a fool. He's aggressive. He's got like, he's loud. He yells at his defenders. He, he, even people in Italy have noticed him. I think he's going to become a big name at Arsenal. May I absolutely love him. And I think his his personality and his vibe, like his presence rubs off on the defense now obviously this game like once once Tavares gave away the ball for the second goal we just capitulated then and Liverpool were just all over us so I think 4-0 like it obviously it could have been seven it could have been eight like Liverpool really were like unbelievable but I think they will do that to teams and ultimately our season isn't going to be judged on how we did away at Anfield our season is going to be judged on how we do against Newcastle next week and how we do against United and I think we were always going to lose at Anfield unfortunately but Liverpool are just bloody good they're just good they're very very good they're like the best team in the league just looking at the stats 19 shots for Liverpool five for Arsenal and how many do you know the XG for Liverpool and the one for Arsenal I know ours was like 0.4. Yeah, 0.3. And for Liverpool, 3.34. Mate, Um, it was a barrage. It was a barrage. Um, Still, the fact that you went out there and still you didn't embarrass yourselves. Like, I feel like the overall performance was there. You're going to lose against this team. Well, I mean, it's you you guys have struggled quite a lot. And I mean, a 4-0 loss is a big halt, of course, but I think there, as you were saying, there are some good takeaways from this game. And I um, think the like the key now is how we react. We have Newcastle next week. An Arsenal team of old would go and lose that game to Newcastle now or draw that game to Newcastle. We need to go out and win that game and make sure that this is just forgotten about. And that's going to be the, the the key for Arsenal now. But for Liverpool, it was important for them because with Chelsea winning and with City winning. Like Liverpool need to keep up the pace because we've said before, like, I think they've got the best 11 in the league. Like, their first 11 are the best 11 in the league. But beyond that is when they start to struggle. And we know that the AFCON's coming up. So they need to get these points on the board while they can. 
And um, yeah, it was really impressive from them. Absolutely terrifying at times. I just, I think Arteta has to turn around to the Arsenal team and say, that's where we want to be in six years' time. Like, that's where, that is what you're aiming for. Because we're not there. But that team have been together for six years. That team have been together for seven years, maybe. Like, that's where we want to be. And I think that's what Arteta has to use it as, really. Chris coming in with the salt on the wound. I heard a stat. He says, Arsenal have lost more than 4-0 10 times. Five of them to Liverpool. It's never pretty. It's never pretty against Liverpool. It's always... Usually there's like loads of goals in those games. And in the past, we used to have a few of them as well, but now not so much. We just let you have them all. Lots of talking points in the group chat. Ramsdale over Pickford for the three Lions, Rory. Yes or no, maybe? Um, Yes, but Pickford has never underperformed. He's never let England down. I think for Everton, Pickford has like lapses in concentration and gets dinosaur arms. But for England, he never really does. So I think until, not like we should wait for him to make a mistake, but for like he was one of our best players at the Euro. So I think it would be harsh to drop Pickford. But obviously my Arsenal heart says, yes, I want England's number one to be an Arsenal player, right? And our friend Theodore Boyvin is here with a very American question. Who would have won in a fight, Klopp or Arteta? Jesus Christ. Klopp. Is this a, yeah, Klopp's like six foot four and doesn't spend three hours looking in the mirror like Arteta does. I think, <laughs> I think Klopp is taking that all day. But all since, our, day. since our friend Theodore is here, Manchester City's favorite team won yesterday very convincingly 3-0 against Everton. But can we talk? One more time about Mr. Joao Cancelo and that nice Trivela pass to, to Sterling. Man, I've seen that pass from like 15 oh. different angles and it gets prettier and prettier. It's it's insane, man. That guy is having a hell of a season. Where did this guy come from? Like, Inter Milan, of course. Just, Inter he's Milan. Ex- he's exploded. I remember them signing him and me being a bit like, oh, he'll never play. Then all of a sudden, he's like one of their key players. We've said it about City before. Like They have these players that just appear for three months. They're unbelievable. It all becomes about them. Then it's someone else's turn. And at the moment, Cancelo is just absolutely Killing it. He's possibly the both le- best left and right back in the world at the moment. He can play on both sides. Um, and he did you see the Rodri so goal as well? Yeah. The man, Rodri but... goal was an absolute rocket. Um, Everton are looking awful. And I already feel like this Benitez project has not got legs in it. But you were cutting out a little bit, but yeah, I heard that Did this Benitez project, yeah, no, this Benitez project is not really working for Everton. That makes Man City uh, the second team in the league, twenty-six points after, of course, Chelsea. Chelsea, they are on a tier, absolutely. Ever since uh, October second, they've of all the games they've played, they've only drawn two: one in the Carabao Cup and one in the previous match day in the Premier League against Burley. The Lukaku absent doesn't, absence doesn't really make, uh, doesn't really seem to be facing them. Mm-hmm. It's almost like we want to raise the question, is there going to be space for Lukaku once he comes back? I think he has to get into the team, right? But Because the problem for Chelsea is at the moment, and it's a good problem to have, is that all their top... All their top goal scorers are their defenders. I think their top goal scorer is Reese James, and then there's Rudiger, and I can't remember the third one, but all their defenders are getting the goals, and I think they need maybe the attack to give them a hand. Um, Rudiger, Kante, and the Pulisic were the goals, yep. Like, and I think Chilwell has a few this year. Kante's goal was unbelievable, but I think, yeah, so when when uh, Big Rom is back, I think he walks back into that team. It's just, we have to remember that he was not in good form before he got injured, right? He'd gone seven games without a goal, so it's not like he was being that key for them anyway. So, Can I say one thing? Out of two seasons for Inter Milan, I don't recall him being out injured for that long. Mm. Like, he's a physically strong dude. There is something fishy, in my opinion, for a man who doesn't know how to read and write. I'm going to say that there is something fishy about this Lukaku absence. But in other news, we had two games with a 3-3 scoreline. Burnley, Crystal Palace, Newcastle, Brentford. And then we have to talk about one of my favorite teams. It used to be a bird that could fly very high, but it's become a sort of ostrich or a penguin that can't really can't really take flight anymore. What is happening to my favorite bird, the seagull? They lose 2-0 to Stevie G. His first game in charge in the Premier League. He makes it a 2-0 win. 
takeaways from this game? Stevie G at the wheel? It was a great Ollie Watkins goal, a really beautiful Ollie Watkins goal to open it up. Um, I think we saw what we kind of talked about. Gerard brought in a bit of defensive stability. Um, the wing backs were key to the game and he got a, a vital, vital three points. Like that is a great way to start off. The goal, the first goal was very late and then the second one kind of followed shortly afterwards. Great start for Gerard. He was not the only manager who had a great start this weekend. Dean Smith getting Norwich to their first win of the of the year. So um, a really impressive performance there against Southampton. The goal from Shea Adams, Shea Adams is an absolute beauty. Um, but yeah, Dean Smith getting off to a winning start. But unfortunately for Eddie Howe, he could not get off to a winning start. He wasn't on the bench, I believe, for COVID reasons, but I'm not sure. His Newcastle team drew three all in an absolute barnstormer. And then, as you mentioned, Burnley against Crystal Palace, 3-3. We need to talk about Maxwell Corne. The signing for Burnley has been ridiculous. He's got five goals in seven games since he came into the league. Um they're a team that's very much English, right? <laughs> um, and they signed this French guy and I was like, oh, okay. This kind of weird flex from Burnley. And he's been unbelievable since he came into the league. So Burnley looked like they are trying and starting to get something together. Crystal Palace, Patrick Vieira is doing a great job there. And I think Palace could easily finish top half this year. Uh, Mark Guehi getting his first goal. One of the players we talked about at the beginning of the season as a great signing. He got his first goal for the club. And just, yeah, Crystal Palace loving life under Big Patrick. And you've got to love it. And finally, Antonio Conte, first win in charge of Tottenham in the Premier League. Are the Spurs back? They're only one point behind their bitter rivals, Arsenal. It's going to be interesting to see who finishes above who, right? It is genuinely going to be interesting. <laughs> That's the competition um, you guys have every year. That says a lot about the state of both clubs. Well, mate, to, to be honest, right, and I've talked about this before, we've been terrible and we've never finished, uh, we haven't finished above them in six years. If the first step in us becoming good again is finishing above that lot, then I'll I take, know it. You'll take <laughs> it. I know you'll take it. You, you would take much less than that. Um, it's, I'm curious. I didn't, I have to admit, I didn't watch this game. I watched some very shitty highlights on the internet. I would want to see a little more of this Tottenham to see how much they've bought into the Conte mentality. However, I did see pictures at the end of Conte just like slapping players on the face, just like, ah, God damn it. Thank he, you. It, was, it was classic Conte screaming at the crowd and really he's definitely trying to get that um, atmosphere there. I saw an interesting interview with him where he said, like, I'm not a magician. I know this job isn't going to be a short-term job. And he was kind of talking about mm-hmm. it maybe as a project, which for Conte is like, unheard of it'll be interesting to see if that's how it goes maybe we know he likes working with Paratici so maybe that's a difference but for Tottenham it was kind of two fairly fortuitous goals the second one the winner was so lucky but hey, they all count 2-1 win he gets off the mark and yeah they're only one point behind us one thing that I can guarantee about Conte winning away at Tottenham is not going to be easy for anybody from now on. That he's said it over and over again. That is one of the he's a staple things. One of the things that he wants to do when he's in charge of a club is making their home impenetrable. So you can be sure that going to play at the Tottenham Stadium is going to be tough. And let's move to fucking Serie A, where I just got scored against in fantasy football by a player that my opposition didn't even play as a starter, but he's going to come in from the bench. Tamedz scores for Elas Verona, assist by Antonin Barak. Rory, I think you've won it at this point. Oh, Barak is doing bits uh, today, man. I'm loving this it. shit. Elas Verona won 2-1 against Empoli, <laughs> and I have to rely on as many as three players playing in the Torino-Udinese game if I want to draw or try and win this game. Uh, Torino and Udinese are about to play in 15 minutes. My players in the field, since nobody cares about it, I'm going to say it, are Pereira and Becao for Udinese, and Lukic, who's just qualified for the World Cup together with Serbia in Torino. Now, let's go to Serie A, and I think that the headline goes to Tommaso Adami, who predicted exactly what would happen in this weekend of Serie A. I said, I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I would say that Fiorentina either get a draw or a win against Milan and Inter win against Napoli. Please, violin sound in the background. Thank you very much. That was me. One prediction was correct out of 100 that I made on this pod. Uh, Man, we were at the stadium yesterday. Great atmosphere. One too many beers before going into the stadium. 
maybe arguably yes we're not fully mentally there until kickoff but luckily then we stood up again and we were able to enjoy a great game of football a great atmosphere and man Napoli had conceded four goals total until yesterday and Inter Milan managed to penetrate their defense three times in one game only, twice in the first half to overturn Zelinski's goal. Lautaro Martinez scores for Inter Milan after almost one month without putting the ball on the back of the net. He apologized to Inter fans for the missed penalty against AC Milan right after his 3-1. But in the end, all of a sudden, it got a little scary when Zeko was caught walking his dog and the ball at midfield, where it shouldn't have been. The ball was stripped by Mertens, who just needs one look to mm-hmm. slot it back home and become Napoli's leading top goal scorer in Serie A ever. His name is going to be enshrined in Napoli's history forever. And Slack Musician says that Inter were very good. I hate to say it. Ha, ha, ha. That wasn't funny. But I'm very happy that you enjoyed Inter's Milan, Inter Milan's performance. This comes at the same time that AC Milan have a woeful game against Fiorentina. They fall short of one goal, but the scoreline is a little strange there. Mm. It should have been one goal less, I think, or two for AC Milan. They lose 4-3 in a thriller of a game. And Rory, I'm going to let you go with the Vlaovic stat really quick. So Vlaovic has scored 27 goals this calendar year, equaling a record with, now the player I'm going to have to remember, but basically the headline is, Vlaovic has outperformed any year that Batistuta ever had at Fiorentina. Now, obviously, this is a striker that, Batistuta, I mean, this is a striker that is iconic within Serie A history, iconic on this pod, as in we talk about him all the time. And I just think it deserves, we need to give Vlavic his shout out. He is absolutely killing it. He's now said he has top scorer and he's still only 20, right? Another prediction that I made, he would be top goal scorer of Serie A. Yup, yup, yup. So he, he equaled Kurt Hamrin's <laughs> record from 1960 with 27 goals in a calendar year. It is insane how good that guy is. So how is it looking up top in Serie A, Napoli and AC Milan? Both lose their first game of the season. Don't forget, they were the only two remaining undefeated teams, not even in Italy, in Europe. They fall short, respectively, to Inter Milan and Fiorentina. Now they're leading at 32, but creeping in the horizon are the Warriors, the black and blue Warriors, Inter Milan at 28 points. And then I know that I shouldn't do these things, but I'm thinking, what if Lotaro put that penalty past the Tataruzano in the derby? I know it's worthless to think about. He didn't. But there we are. And I think that right now, I mean, I was convinced. Let's talk about last night's, last night's game. I liked the way Inter Milan played. Uh, very solid defensively. Very, very solid defensively. We allowed very little, uh, but there were two mistakes on the two goals conceded. One by Barella for the Zielinski goal. One by Zeko for the Mertens goal. If we get rid of those mistakes and we keep playing with the same uh, aggressiveness, I think mm-hmm. that we can go far. And again, my prediction was that we would win the league. It seemed unthinkable when it's below seven. We had lost this game. We would be below 10, but we win it. We're below four. We've got our side on these two teams. Our next games are going to be Shakhtar Donetsk on Wednesday in the Champions League. If we win it and Real Madrid also win the two clubs will be qualified already for the round of 16 and they'll face off each other in the last match day to see who will finish top. Then we've got Venezia, Spezia and Roma. And out of these three Serie A games, I'm expecting only nine points. I wouldn't sign for anything less. So I want nine points from Venezia, Spezia and Roma. Do you think that would be doable for Inter, for the Inter Milan that you saw yesterday? I think it has to be. I think, like, I was genuinely impressed with Inter yesterday and I was a little bit surprised. Like, we've seen before, when the pressure's been on Inter, they've not always responded in the best way. And I think, especially with Napoli going 1-0 ahead, I was like, oh, how are they going to deal with this? And we kind of briefly mentioned it. To turn it around, not only turn it around, but turn it around in the first half is fucking, that is impressive. That is very, very impressive. Especially when Napoli started so brightly. Um, And then they kind of, Took the game away with the 3-1. I feel like maybe some of Inzaghi's substitutions again invited a bit of pressure and kind of let Napoli into the game. Yep. Um, He did the normal thing of taking Martinez off, right? Mm -hmm. Um, 
and brought on Gagliardini, maybe. I can't remember who he brought on for him, but it seemed yeah, like... Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, it felt like the substitutions were inviting a bit of pressure. Napoli got that second goal then towards the end of the game. Tommy, when we saw eight minutes of added time, we were like, oh, like they're definitely getting an equaliser. We have to give... We give him a lot of stick, but Tommy, we have to give Handanovic his credit for that save at the end where the yeah. ball rolled along the crossbar. Now, I don't know how intentional it was, but no, what I mean, a save. Well, the, the save what was intentional. Save. What happened after the save was very lucky. The ball just got this insane trajectory, like bounced down his arm, then up, got the crossbar, and went on the uh, over the net. But I have to say one thing about Andanovic, man. The first goal by Zielinski, it's kind of funny. Like, I I, I don't know. We, he just, like, stretches like big time, it looks like a big stretch, but he doesn't fucking dive. He's yeah, yeah, on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like this big yawny stretch that goes up, 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 but it doesn't quite get there. Fucking move your feet, dude. You're a goalkeeper. You can do that. But I have to say, if in the end the three points come and he makes that save on Mario Rui at the very death of time, then all right, I'll allow that mistake to happen. Um, Napoli, huge blow for them. Oziman out injured, they say, for as many as two months. Now, he got a fractured, what do you call the uh, cheekbone? Uh, cheekbone, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, he got a fracture on his cheekbone, some eye problems. He already underwent surgery. Um, and but to me, I don't, I'm not an expert, I'm not a doctor, but two months out for that just seems like a long time. I would expect him to be back like mid-December or something like that. It depends. That. Yeah, well, again, I'm not a doctor either, but it depends <laughs> if there's a problem with the eye, right? Because usually players just come back with a mask and it's fine, but if there's a problem actually with his eye, then maybe they've got to be careful. That's a massive blow for Napoli because he has been... Like, look, I think quite a few of their players have been chipping in with goals, but he's definitely the focal point of that team. Definitely. And he's the one that if they are going to win the Scudetto, if they were going to win the Scudetto, he is the one that was going to be the one to drive them there, if you know what I mean. So I think it's going to be a massive blow. We knew they were going to miss him for AFCON, so now they're going to miss him before that as well. It's like, it's definitely not great. It'll be interesting to see how Napoli respond to this. Like, it is all about their next game their response to this, they need to just pick up and go again because it could, it would be quite Napoli, I think, to just kind of collapse now and the next few games drop points and kind of lose now, their way. Now it's a pretty tight schedule and Napoli have got a Europa League game against the Spartak and then in the matter of one week, Lazio at home, Sassuolo away and Atalanta at home. It's, 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 it's making That's break rough. That's yeah. rough. <laughs> That's rough. Two words about the AC Milan Fiorentina, Fiorentina AC Milan. We both watched the game. What did you make of it? Ibrahimovic comes clutch with two goals and possibly a third against me in fantasy football, of course. Um, <laughs> but in the first half, he was actually the problem that AC Milan had. He was caught offside about seven times, I believe. And uh, AC Milan actually, well, I will do my analysis first. I think they were found out in the situations where they were actually creating more. Two counterattacks mm. kind of screwed them over in the first half. What did you make of it? Yeah, well, that seems like Fiorentina's kind of a style this season, right? Is to catch teams on the on the break and be, be clinical when they do it. And um, yeah, I think AC Milan, I was really disappointed with how leaky their defense was. I don't think their defense has been that bad. And then all of a sudden they couldn't stop water. Like it was ridiculous. Um, but again, we've well, talked about how good Vlajevic is. He's probably pretty... got a good, got a lot of stake for playing Gabbia, a guy mm. from a youngster from the Primavera instead of Romagnoli who was sat on the bench. So yeah, that was also but Romagnoli, but, but nobody likes Romagnoli either, really. <laughs> <Called> yeah, Gabbia, <laughs> they got so much abuse on social media. Like, <laughs> like the the most. I was reading some comments, man. I I hate to say it, but it's the most I've seen a white player receive abuse recently. Like, it was, <laughs> it was that bad. Just to tell you, it's I'm just making a comment on how racist our society is. But um, <laughs> besides the defense, what did you think of the rest of the team? They didn't create that much up front. No, well, that's it. Fiorentina were never really... I, I feel like you said it. Three kind of flattered Milan a little bit. I think they... Like, Zlatan is clinical, right? When he gets a chance, he he usually takes it. And he became the oldest player to score a brace in Serie A, I think. Um, but I feel like, yeah, there was, there was never a point where I thought, okay, Milan are going to push on and win this now. I always thought Fiorentina would just nick that extra, that extra goal. And yeah, Tato Rosano just 
when, when your keeper's giving them their first goal, that definitely doesn't help, eh? Was it the first no. goal? I think it was the first goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, it was yeah. the first goal. It was the first goal. On a Saturday, we also had Atalanta Spezia. Luis Muriel is back in the score sheet. Uh, Zapata scored uh, for Ladea a penalty. He had to retake it. He missed the first one. Then they let him retake it. I hate when that happens because I feel like the majority of penalties if that's the rule, should be retaken. But the big standout name in this game is Mario Pazalic. Ladies and gentlemen, the Croatian with two goals and an assist to make it a 5-2 win against Spezia. Atalanta are only three points behind Inter Milan, so there is a nice little cluster of teams creating there up top. On Saturday, Rory quickly mentioned it in the introduction. He was given... Two goals by Bonucci for his fantasy football uh, squad. Two penalties to overcome Lazio at the Olimpico. You were saying that only one of the penalties was a penalty. Which one wasn't? The Reina the first side one. tackle? The first, the, the first one, one, I think, was soft. He got the ball. I know he continues through and gets the defender, but the tackle he got the ball... I thought that one was soft. The Rainer one is just stupid. <laughs> like yeah, you can't. There's no defending that one. But I was I was looking I was at soft. that play. It doesn't happen often to see a goalkeeper come in with a from behind tackle <laughs> on the forward. It was just pure poetry in motion right there. But Juventus again not creating a lot. They had two goals out of uh, penalties, and they seem not to have really an engine anywhere on the pitch. Right, L- last season I spent the whole time counting how long it's going to take Dra- Dra- Dragovsky to keep a clean sheet for fantasy, right? This year I am counting how long it's going to take Chiesa to score a bloody goal. He has not <laughs> scored yet. He has won in Serie A, I think. I spent a lot of money on him and he's starting to piss me off. When is he going to score? When? It doesn't feel like he has a, even a steady position in Juventus. No. He just like plays as a number nine, number ten, like winger, They're midfielder. They're playing his wing back half the time. He's like got a cover defensive and you're like Allegri you know how to use a player like this come on just let him go like it feels like he's really not doing anything this year which is incredibly incredibly frustrating but hey if you're gonna sign a player make sure it's the penalty taker for the team that every match is fixed in their favor just why not do that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, no, that that was actually a very smart call on the Sunday. Bank for no, ba- bank for your buck. Yeah, what did they say? Yeah, 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 yeah. bank for your buck. Sassuolo Cagliari two two. Umai Umai, a player that I madly respect for a few reasons. One being Kamaka, he... no way. Kamaka, <laughs> <laughs> I respect him for his family. Uh, he scored a goal, and it was very nice. Uh, but he hasn't he hasn't assaulted anybody yet, so we we are waiting for the news to arrive. I'm talking about Keita Balde. Why do I respect this player so much? Number one, because he helped Inter Milan go mm. back to the Champions League when he was at the Inter, and also um, he's dating my crush. He's, she's an Italian showgirl, uh, Simona Gualtieri, and I just think she's beautiful. And good job, Keita. Every time I see him, every time I see Keita on television, I'm just like. Why do I respect him again? I was like, Champions League and, oh, the wife. But then, another reason to madly respect him, it's that bicycle kick that he scored against Sassuolo. Man, what a powerful hit right under the crossbar. Crossbar in. I love a crossbar and in. I love a crossbar and in. That guy always impressed me when he was at Inter. I always thought he came off the bench, always did a pretty good job. I I always quite liked him when he played there, yeah. Yeah, and what does this mean for Cagliari? With a 2-2 draw, they still don't manage to get their second win in Serie A this season. There are only two teams to have won only one game, and they are Cagliari and Genoa, both currently in the relegation spot. Talking about Genoa last night, nil-nil under the pouring rain. I was talking to a guy the other day, and he had a very funny comment. It was like, Genova shouldn't exist. And they said, why? What are you talking about? It's a beautiful city. It was like, no, 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 no. From a morphological point of view, like right, city right, right. should not have been built right there. Because every year around this time, and also in spring, it just starts raining a lot, and there are literally mm. chunks of mountains coming down. Oh, and what's on top of the chunks of mountains? Houses and shit. But <laughs> yeah. yesterday was a very Genoa-like game. Pouring rain, nil-nil. Nobody can break the deadlock until a guy named Afena Gian comes in. Mourinho says, if you go in and score, I will buy you an 800 euro pay- pair of shoes. And the guy doesn't score one goal. He makes it two with a brilliant distance kick. Man, he gets the pair of shoes. He got it today, right? 
Mate, yeah, yeah, the video is really nice. He doesn't really know what to say, and it's all quite quiet and awkward, but it's really nice. That second goal was an absolute rocket. Beautiful. Like, unbelievable. And that like, was what a I loved... confidence hit. Confidence hit yeah. right there. And what, what I loved was like how everybody else reacted to him. So when he scored the first one, they all just mobbed him and Mourinho. And then the second one, everyone was looking at him like, and he's just stood on the pitch like, he doesn't really yeah. know what to do. Like, it was amazing. Two goals to win the game. Before that, Roma looked like they had all the chances. Classic Roma, all the chances, could not score. Abraham even ended up getting a goal disallowed by it hitting his hand, I think. It feels like that guy is like just go, getting more creative ways of how not to score. Uh, so it looked like Romulo Roma... Sky had a very good chance by yeah. El Sharawi. By the way, El Sharawi, very underrated player. Possibly because we all expected him to have the biggest career of all time. Mm -hmm. But I think that at Roma, he has really found this dimension. He went over on a money trip to China for a few years, came back, and he hadn't lost a bit of the confidence mm -hmm. that he had before. Um, but who is this guy, Athena Gyan, who scored for Rome? He's the first uh, class of 2003, born in 2003, to score in Serie A. And again, he's not Italian. There was a very interesting article that I read today of how much we are unable to value our youngsters. Mm -hmm. But the foreigners just come in and just walk all over the all over the league. Uh, beautiful to see a youngster come in. And at the same time, there is an Italian youngster that didn't play for Roma. There is a bit of a Zaniolo gate at the moment. That guy, look, man, when I think about it, when I think about the fact that he was in Inter Milan and we gave him away, he just seems to have such a, an on-the-way personality that I'm kind mm -hmm. of happy that we got rid of him. It just sounds like a lot of problem off the pitch and also on the pitch at times. I feel like we're watching, we are currently watching his career peter out, which is a real shame because he's had two massive injuries, which is going to have an effect. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I think when he got that latest injury, wasn't there some problems off the field with an ex-girlfriend or a girlfriend or there was all sorts of gossip and drama going on i feel like we are watching a guy's career disappear here and it is a shame but if you're not putting the performances in on the pitch then Mourinho is not going to play you and it's i think like bringing this player in like jean and giving him a go and him doing that it like kind of proves what Mourinho was saying i think about him saying that some parts of this squad just aren't good enough and he needs he need like I know it's kind of classic Mourinho to be like I need to spend more money, but I feel like he really needs to spend a bit of money on this squad to make it his. But I feel like the club are willing to put the time in with him, and the club are willing to like trust in Jose a bit that he yeah. might be there a while in order to build a squad. I hope he does because I feel like it's quite a good fit. And even look, though it's been up and down this year, at the end of the day, like the the, this, the thing that strikes us is that they lost five games already. But mm -hmm. there, if we look at the reality of things, they're only three points behind Atalanta. Their next fixtures are in Serie A. They're against Torino, Bologna, and Inter. I think that they can get if they focus, they can get six points there because mm -hmm. they're not going to win against Inter. Um, they got six points there, and uh, they could still be in the race for Europe. We shall see, but. I don't think that Mourinho's days are numbered yet because he's, mm, they, they've no, been doing no. all right. Um, about Zaniolo, one thing that just says a lot about his attitude, he was subbed in in the game against Venezia, the previous one uh, before the international break. At the 77th minute, nothing really happened after he got in. They still lost the game 3-2. But after the game, usually when it's a loss, players don't post anything. And Zaniolo just posted in his Instagram stories a bunch of pictures taken by a professional photographer of him just like walking around the bench and looking cool as fuck. And it's just yeah. like your team is losing and you really focus on like the pictures where you look good. Joe Spagnoli saying, Rory, Zaniolo's love life is Instagram's <laughs> answer to The Sopranos. More girlfriends than knee injuries. And yeah, that's a very good point, Joe. Very, very good point. Love it. Love it. Still a few games to take a look at. Let me scroll back. Sampdoria win 2-0 away at Salernitana with a known goal by Ditacchio. And yet another goal by Antonio Candreva, who's really becoming a good player for Sampdoria. Mm. And Venezia continued their run. They win 1-0, second consecutive win, this time against Bologna with a goal by Rory's very own Okereke. Mate, and this is a signing I'm so happy with. I watch him not score for the rest of the season, but I am happy we're getting that guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know you do love the guy. And as we are talking, as I previewed already, Torino and Udinese are taking on each other. But it's time to take a look at this midweek Champions League fixtures. Oof. Look, 
about Inter's group, I just said it all. We need to win against fucking Shakhtar Donetsk. They suck. They've been terrible all these Champions League. They don't deserve a single win. They're not going to get it at the San Siro. The game is going to be at 6.45 Central European time on Wednesday, which means I will miss the first 15 minutes because I will be working. Uh, if both Damn. Inter Milan and Real Madrid win this game, it means that they will be the teams to advance. And then it would be interesting to see the final game at the Bernabeu because who wins will be top. What other interesting games have we got? I'm just looking randomly in Group B, Atletico Madrid against AC Milan. Can AC Milan win their first game in the Champions League this year? The uh, standings read Liverpool at 12 points, Porto at 5, Atletico Madrid at 4, and AC Milan at 1. Let's say that if AC Milan win this game and Liverpool don't necessarily win it, there is still a chance. Well, actually, they would want Liverpool to win it so that Porto Mm. stay at 5. Yeah. What do you think about Liverpool Porto? (laughs) That group is kind of looking a little bit, well, at least for Liverpool, it's looking settled. Milan just need to try and get that Europa League spot. eh? I know they're going to, their fans are going to be like, we don't want Europa League. We don't want Europa League, but they could do a lot worse than win the Europa League. Um, And they just need to try and make it look respectable. If they finish bottom of that group, that's pretty bad. But let's move in order, actually. Tomorrow night, it's Tuesday. We've got Dinamo Kiev, Bayern Munich, and Barcelona, Benfica. This group, uh, besides Bayern Munich, we're just running with it, is looking pretty tight because Barcelona have six points, Benfica have got four, and Dinamo Kiev have got one. We already talked about it back when they faced each other the first time. Benfica are no mugs. So we shall really see how this new look Barcelona, under Xavi, they've got their first win under Xavi. Let's they weren't convincing, though. It wasn't a penalty, and they won 1-0. It wasn't a convincing win at all. The penalty was never a penalty, and Xavi kind of got away with it. Towards the end, Espanyol were absolutely battering Barcelona, so I think it's a slow start, um, despite getting the win, and I think Benfica are going to put up a bit more of a fight, a bit more of a consistent fight than Espanyol did, um, despite Barcelona were pretty terrible. In Group F, Villarreal, Manchester United, Young Boys, Atalanta. What do you make of these two games? Man United and Villarreal on even points at seven, followed by Atalanta at five, and Young Boys trailing behind at three points. Who can predict what Manchester United are going to do now? It's going to be Michael Carrick in the dugout. It's going to be the same players that have been put that have been putting in dog shit performances all season. Like, who knows what's going to happen? And again, it's Villarreal who beat them in the Europa League final. It could be it could be a messy one, but it would be kind of classic for them to just put in an amazing performance now the manager's been sacked, right? Group G, Lille, Salzburg, and Sevilla, Wolfsburg. This group is pretty interesting. We've got Salzburg at seven, Lille at five, Wolfsburg at five, and Sevilla at three. Everything to play for. We could call it the hipster group a little bit. If you guys yeah. aren't sure which games to watch, maybe this group could have a few surprises surprises for you. And then fighting for the top spot in Group uh, G, what? No, Group H. Sorry, we've got Chelsea Juventus. This should be an exciting one. Uh, Juventus leading. They're still undefeated after four wins. They're leading with twelve points. Chelsea are training by three at nine, followed by Zenit and Malmo at three, point, uh, three points and zero, respectively. This one is for the top of the table. Who do you think is going to see this through? I think Chelsea. Yeah, I think Chelsea get the win here. With it being at Stamford Bridge and with them being so good recently, like their defense is not letting goals in and Juventus don't have much of an attacking threat beyond penalties. I think this is only really going to go one way and Chelsea could kind of secure top spot basically, but we know how important it is to finish top in the Champions League. The last game that the Blues lost was against La Vecchia Signora exactly on September 29th. Ever since that 1-0 loss in Turin, they have never lost a single game. Let's move on to Wednesday when we've got Club Bruges, RB Leipzig, and the big, big game, Manchester City, PSG, the petrol dollar derby. Who do you see winning this one? Um, PSG won it last time, right? Is that is that right on the top of our head? I think uh, PSG won it last PSG, time, right? Yeah, they won it 2-0 last time with goals by Gueye and Messi. They did. Well, this is, good. again, going to be an interesting one. Is this Poch's last game in charge of PSG? Is he going to sod off to Manchester United? We just do not know. I think City, with it being at the Etihad, 
it's going to be a great game, right? We know it's going to be entertaining. All that money on the pitch, it better I'd be entertaining. Um, but I'm going to back Man City to get the result here. Um, although Messi has started to kind of consistently score for PSG, so that could be a nightmare for Pep. He does like to score against Pep, as far as I remember. Club Bruges have still something to play for. They're on four points. They're going to take on RB Leipzig. But if they win, they go to seven points. PSG are currently at eight. Man City at nine. They can still dream. We've already covered Group B, where AC Milan, Atletico, Liverpool, and Porto are. Group C, Besiktas, Ajax, and the Sporting Lisboa, Borussia Dortmund. Ajax are leading one of the few undefeated teams in the Champions League, 12 points, and Dortmund and Sporting are on even points at six. Besiktas are already out of the race. This should be a pretty comfortable win for Ajax, but as we just said, the interesting game, I think, is going to be Sporting against Dortmund. Sporting are in very, very good form. If you look at their latest results, their last loss came against Borussia Dortmund on September 28th, and ever since, they haven't lost a single game. They haven't tied a single game, just a bunch of green squares. All wins for Sporting Lisboa, who are currently, I believe, also leading in Liga Noche. They are second on even points with Porto. And for Dortmund, they are in second place, only one point behind Bayern in the Bundesliga. They've won four of their last five. They're in very good form. This is going to be a great game. I feel like Dortmund really need to do something after two disastrous results against Ajax. They really need to wake up and make sure that they qualify because if they end up in the Europa League, that's pretty terrible. That's really terrible for them. And the last group to cover, we already kind of did Group D with Inter Milan, Real Madrid, Sheriff and Donetsk. Look, Sheriff, don't play around anymore. Just lose against Real Madrid so we can sleep comfortable sleeps knowing that we're going to the round of 16 for the first time in a long, long fucking time. More it's going to be no, knockout any... football, Tommy. We need to get knockout football at the ten San years, ten years been... Yeah, I know. We we definitely need that knockout game at the San Siro. We want to see that. But Rory, before we go to have dinner and say goodbye to our uh, listeners, there was a comment made by Bryce earlier in the chat. Do you think that something should be done, should be done about Marseille fans since you're rocking their kit? No, nothing should be No, done. it's not that it, in in right in five of Marseille's last seven away games they've been attacked by the fans at that stadium. It is France's attitude to Marseille that is the problem. Now, I don't want to get into politics, but I know that a lot of French people feel they have certain opinions about Marseille and the people that live within that city. And I feel like that is the problem. It's France's attitude to Marseille that's the problem. Are Marseille fans saints? Definitely, definitely not. But it was a Leon fan that threw a bottle at Paye, right? And now got the game cancelled. It was against Nice where they got attacked. I think it's everyone but the Marseille fans, whilst also being the Marseille fans. Um, it's a weird one, eh? I think Bryce. France's, France's oh. racism is the problem. Oh. France's, France's colonial history is the problem. Oh, <laughs> and now you're talking my language. There we go. There we go. By the way, Bryce, in case you don't know, Marseille is the city with the most Kalashnikovs per capita in Europe. Believe it or not. I really want to visit. I really want to visit. But anyway. <laughs> I got there by accident. I fell asleep on a train drunk and I woke up in Marseille. It's a very nice city. Lots of street art to look at. There's one more and story great we fish need to market. talk about, Tommy. Quickly, before we go... Giuseppe Rossi making his return to Italian football to sign for Serie B-side Spal. You love to see it. He's back in the league, Giuseppe Rossi. Yes. Yeah, just wait. He's going to take a big breath and break his ankle again or something. No, Giuseppe, <laughs> jokes aside, uh, jokes aside, Jokes aside, Giuseppe Rossi, best of luck. Your career was, I mean, calling it unfortunate and unlucky is an understatement. Yeah. Hopefully you can score your last few goals at a club where you don't have a lot of pressure on your shoulders and maybe help them come back to Serie A sometime soon. Beautiful, Rory. Anything else to say? I think that's it. I think that's it. I we got li- we got Liverpool away out of the way. It's done now. We can just concentrate on other games. I just wanted to get it done, and now it's done. We can move on with our lives. Congratulations, Liverpool. And guys, I guess we will talk to you again on Friday with episode twenty-four. Rory and I had a cheeky little meeting on Saturday. No, on Sunday, yesterday, before the game, because we think about you, listeners, and we were just we- like, these <laughs> listeners deserve 
much more than what we are giving them. And don't worry, it's coming. It's all coming your way. Guys, the holiday season is approaching. It's the it's Santa's miracles and shit like that. Um, I hate Christmas, but just for you, we will try to make it a very happy one. Hmm, what a nice ending to the episode. Remember to follow us Beautiful. on Instagram at AngloItalianPod, on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod, and also follow our sponsor at Sports Club Maps. It just takes one click, and you'll be able to participate in future giveaways. Talk to you soon, ladies and gentlemen, and thank for to all the people that joined us on live on Twitch and YouTube. Bryce, Steve, Hopeless Wanderer, Chris, everybody, it's been great talking to you. See you later, guys. <laughs>